Welcome to Spoiler Peace Theater, the podcast that doesn't give a shit about spoilers. We just want to talk about the movies. My name is Evan Crean. My pronouns are he, him. I am co-chair of the Boston Online Film Critics Association and co-author of your 80s movie guide to better living. And I'm Dave Riedel. My pronouns are he, him. I write for the Chicago Reader. And I, too, am a member of the Boston Online Film Critics Association. You are. And Megan is on vacation this week. So we have a very special guest. Returning, returning friend of the show, Kristen Halbert. Oh wait, why did I woo myself? Um, I just I wooed I, you, but you can yeah. woo yourself. <laughs> Thank you. Self care, self love. Uh, hi, <laughs> Kristen Halbert. I write for Forces of Geek, and I'm also on the Boston Comics and Color Festival Committee, the only BIPOC focused comic and fantasy festival in the Greater Boston area. Nice, sweet. Is that a I new mean, I love it. Thing? <laughs> no, we're in our, I think next year will be our fourth in-person year. Uh, last year was a banner year with both Aletha Martinez from Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur World of Wakanda, as well as David Crowder from uh, Harriet Tubman Demon Slayer as our lead. So cannot wait for next year. Wow, that's really exciting. Um, but you're, you're not on the... Did you join the staff recently? I think that's what I was wondering because I was like, wait, I don't think I knew that Kristen was involved in this before. And I know you wear many hats. <laughs> oh, I just wanted to add something onto Forces of Geek. It's been for about two years with them, uh, mostly because I literally live within a like five block walking distance from where we hold the festival so it's also a convenient space note mm. that i go to pax even more years but i ain't nowhere associated with that thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh man remember when we went to pax right when the pandemic was like uh, just starting wasn't that crazy <laughs> that was fantastic and we're gonna go back to pax evan let's yeah. bring dave Dave, you want to come play play video games or maybe Ooh. you only want to watch the cutscenes because that's like little movies Ooh, i mean i might get on board with that i don't know <laughs> i think yeah, we could do a pack channel just about cutscenes and like what makes a good cutscene and what makes a good like little vignette yeah i i have i have watched all the cutscenes from both um the last of us games several times so i i yeah i have nothing else to say (laughs) (laughs) i like when they stitch them together and it's the only reason i kind of know what kingdom hearts is supposed to be doing right now because i wasn't playing all of those games yeah there's a lot to cover there so yeah a speed (laughs) speed cut is probably (laughs) if you're not playing the games it's probably good Oh, man. I'm excited to be here in the long form with you guys tonight. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Yeah, we're always happy to have you on the show. We always have a lot of fun. And I think we've got a couple of fun movies to talk about. Although, like, weird pairing of movies, as I said to Kristen the other day when I saw her. I was like, I really don't know what I was thinking uh, trying to pair these movies together. But hopefully it'll make for an interesting conversation. So... The first movie we're going to talk about is Saltburn, and then the second movie we're going to talk about is American Fiction. And uh, one of those movies I know Kristen was really excited to see. <laughs> Everyone guess them? which one. 
I, I don't think it'll be hard after we, we, we dig into Saltburn here. So Saltburn is uh, written and directed by Emerald Fennell, who we know did uh, Promising Young Woman. And it stars Barry Keoghan, Jacob Elordi, uh, Rosamund Pike, Richard E. Grant. I feel like those are the kind of key folks. Archie Madeque. I don't think I knew him before. And our plot summary is... A student at Oxford University, I feel like I have to add an accent there, finds himself drawn into the world of a charming and aristocratic classmate who invites him to his eccentric family's sprawling estate for a summer never to be forgotten. Hmm. Who are the marketing people who write these things? I, I want to know. Yeah. This makes it sound very... I, I mean, I feel like I wanted to see this because I'd, I'd heard a lot of things about this movie both positive, negative. Uh, it sounded like an intriguing premise to me. They kind of uh, class commentary of, you know, a working class guy goes and spends time with ultra rich people and just sees the opulence and how fucked up they are. But uh, yeah, this movie went a lot of places that I was not necessarily expecting. Uh, a lot of them gross. Some, <laughs> some real gross stuff. Uh, going on here so to flesh it out a little bit barry keoghan is a um he he's attending oxford he's kind of like an outcasty kind of guy jacob alordi is uh his name is felix catton and he's from an ultra rich family and he's ultra popular and so oliver barry keoghan's character kind of ingratiates himself at first by loaning him his bicycle uh after felix has a flat tire um, and then they become friends and, you know, Oliver is more and more inserting himself into, into Felix's crowd. And that's how he ends up getting the invite to join him at the estate uh, because Felix kind of takes pity on him as being kind of like an outcast. And Oliver, you know, spins the story about how he's from this family of drug addicts and tells him that his father died and this and that. And so Felix is like, oh, he's a sad, pathetic guy. I guess I'll take him to hang out with my family. So yeah, so he goes to the estate and then he's there and all kinds of weird fucked up shit happens and people start dying. Members of the Catton family start dying. What else do we need to know going into this before we just start digging into it? Um, I think we need to know that Barry Keegan will sleep with anyone in this movie, including this a grave. Yes. Yeah, he does <laughs> fuck a grave in this movie. A and that's exactly what grave. it sounds like. He sticks his dick in a pile of of dirt on top of a casket yeah i was so i was gonna say how kind it was that dave even said we'll sleep with anyone when it's literally just dirt (laughs) yeah anyone or anything that's what i should have said yeah this movie really likes barry keegan's dick so you know yeah i yeah it's I mean, I don't fault that, but... <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying it's a wrong. I'm just saying it's like, there's a lot of dick shots in this movie of this guy. Well, yeah, between there's a scene early on where he joins the other people in the field and they're, they're naked and then they see him and they're like, oh, hey, all right. You got something there going on. And then, yeah, then later he's sticking his dick in the grave and then in the end when he has killed everyone, he kills off all these... Uh, all the members of the family and then takes over the estate. He dances naked around the, uh, the estate. And also does some cocaine. Don't forget yes. that part. 
does I'm kind of surprised he didn't snort it off his own dick, but, you know, hey. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, who knows if he's that flexible, but he certainly... The ultimate uh, yoga pose. Yeah. If you <laughs> get a couple of bendy straws, snort. no problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did we see anyone else's dick? I just want because I am not going to stay on this dick topic that long. But did we see anyone else's dick? I'm trying to remember. I don't think so. I don't think I we don't did. Think we did. There was implied dickage, but no, but no visual. I think that's just a guess. I don't remember. <laughs> Moving <laughs> on. The dick stands alone. Got it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, Kristen. What the hell did you think of this movie? What the f- I am so angry at you. <laughs> and the best part was you tried to give me an out saying that, oh, it's okay, we can talk about American fiction, you don't necessarily have to watch this one. And I kept pressing you to get to, like, let me weigh in on this movie, because I hadn't mm-hmm. seen it yet, and I was like, oh, I want to weigh in on all the things. And now I feel like such a jackass, because this movie was, is, was fucking impossible. It was it was ridiculous. And I think that part of it was I just kept watching it and just being like, this is just the whitest fucking thing that would ever happen ever. Because there is because even though they brought up race like for a hot second with damn, mm-hmm. what's the name again? Oh, the cousin or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Farley is the, Thank the cousin's you. name. Where Farley brought up race for like just a little bit in my back of my head, I was like, this is this is literally the wise fucking thing. Because if even one body dropped when you brought some random black child home from Oxford, like that kid would have had Bobby pick them up in like 30 seconds. There ain't no way. There is no freaking way. Yeah, I can't believe how it never occurred to anybody that uh, that maybe uh, Oliver was the culprit behind felix's murder i mean i know that he poisoned him but did he also stab him i mean because there's that flashback and i was like did he stab him i can't tell doesn't look very good is also what i'm saying yeah Mm -hmm. i think just the poison just the poison i think it's just the poison okay yeah which Mm. is enough and assisted suicide Mm. yeah i don't know i mean i i would go with forced suicide you're talking about the bathtub yeah i'm talking about the bathtub yeah yeah that definitely seemed like he killed her and made it look like a suicide. I mean, he, he he's a murderer in this movie. Yeah. Um, probably one of the least weird things about it, though, between the grave fucking, there's the scene where Felix is masturbating in the bathtub and then Oliver comes in and drinks the bathwater as it's going down the drain. That was pretty gross. Yeah, that might be my favorite, uh, um, you know, ejaculate eating scene ever in anything. And when I say favorite, I mean fucking gross. <laughs> I was, was going to make a note in your contacts in my phone. Cause I <laughs> Just flag that. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I felt like the movie was uh, kind of teetering on the edge of strange. Just, you know, but up until that point, I was like, and we've made the left turn into Weirdville. Got oh, it. yeah. Because it only got weirder from there between the, the, the grave fucking. Uh, what else? Oh, um, when he has when he had sex with the, the sister. Right. You're lucky I'm a vampire. Oh my god! Yeah, when he's like, got, you know, it's that time of the month. There's there's blood involved in the, in this in this sex scene. So, but it's lit so poorly that you can't really see it when he's rubbing it rubbing it on her face or on her chin and her like neck. 
Because I was like, I'm pretty sure you're supposed to be seeing something, but I can't see anything. <laughs> yeah, well, it's I, a, it is in the dark. Yeah. I feel like it was a good juxtaposition, though, because you couldn't, like, really see it. And then the second he was in the water and you saw so much of it, it was, like, pretty clear that that kid had uh, gone to town. <laughs> oh, yeah, when his, his his face is soaking in the tub and there's yes! blood all over it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I was so excited that I would get out of that scene without, like, really knowing the depths of it right until literally the next scene, which immediately in sharp relief showed me the depths of it. Yeah. You you could have, like, been, maybe that's not what I saw. And then you're like, damn it. <laughs> Definitely saw that. Yep. Oh. Etched in memory forever. Um, actually, I'm going to forget this movie pretty quickly. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm just going to jump in and say this is just a bad movie. It's bad. It doesn't look particularly good. It's acted fine. Um, it is so absurd to the point. Now, I, I, it's supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be a dark comedy unless it's the like most misdirected film ever. But the other thing I want to say is it's the talented Mr. Ripley. It's the talented Mr. Ripley, except not as good. It's a little shorter, and the talent of Mr. Ripley's too long, but it's the same fucking movie. Mm. Same this, story. This is grosser. I think this movie's too long, too. This is definitely grosser, but um, yeah, I don't know. Because, you know, you got the whole class thing, and you got the, the, the guy trying to ingratiate himself with the rich people, just like talent of Mr. Ripley. And I'm kind of surprised that Patricia Highsmith doesn't get, you know, a writing credit, but that's okay. <laughs> so um i don't know it just this I, it was just tedious and that was yeah. the thing it's like you can kind of i mean you don't see how everybody's you know i'm not thinking of my uh, like once felix ended up dead and i kept waiting for that to happen because that stupid voiceover at the beginning just like gives it all away right and like why is there a voiceover in the, like why is he narrating his own story to the comatose matriarch of this family you don't need to do any of that shit just fucking show it you know who cares Ugh, made me so fucking mad anyway yeah as you tedious can tell is, yeah tedious is a good word to describe this movie it uh felt long to me i did like the cinematography in this um i didn't oh, see i did think most yeah. of the performances were particularly good i feel like it was doing a lot of stuff simply for shock value <clears throat> without really having anything interesting to say uh is felt like a very white movie and i actually i think even apologized when i handed kristen the screener and said here i was like <laughs> i picked the whitest movie i'm so sorry that's okay we're gonna call this the ebony and ivory episode it's totally cool <laughs> i don't know how harmoniously they're living though like at the piano <laughs> keyboard considering the depths of of uh, meh, I feel for this. <laughs> I would never want Monk and this man to meet. Well, Monk doesn't have enough money for this man anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, there's just something really, and yes, this is like an ag aggressively white wealth movie. Um, but there's also just the class aspect of it was just like really just weirdly weirdly done and then when the big reveal came and his parents were alive and they lived like in this nice home and stuff 
I was like, oh, well, this explains like 382 things, but also not in a way that I find actually satisfying. And now this person is now a mustache twirling villain and I have 25 minutes left and everything's wrapped up. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. I got to say for a movie that's two hours and seven minutes, the last 20 minutes is packed with a whole lot of fucking information. Um. But was it really surprising to anybody? I, no. I mean, I've, I pegged it very yeah. early in the movie that Oliver was not a reliable narrator and that he was probably making up a lot of the shit to get in with them. And then I was like, okay, now he's knocking them all off one by one. We're not seeing the murders, but then they like rewind, you know, later that in the movie. was and so him, irritating. Like, doing the murders. Like, okay, you, you didn't need to do that. We We could guess by this point that he's been murdering people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it, it also pissed me off because this is kind of the same way that Promising Young Woman ends with going back through the whole, like, I did all these things, um, which I hate in movie endings. It's just like, just show me along the way or leave it to my imagination. Don't be like, <laughs> you know, uh, fuck right off. So it made me mad. <laughs> I'm hearing that. Yeah. Did anything make you happy in this movie today? <laughs> um, I mean, I thought Rosamund Pike was really good. And I her character made me laugh a couple of times. Like when um, poor, was it poor Pamela or what? I don't remember what the friend's name was that they finally kick out. And they just she just mm -hmm. casually mentions they're going to her funeral. And Oliver's like, what? She died? And then Rosamund Pike says, oh, well, you know, she always wanted attention. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I laughed at that. That made me too. laugh. Yeah, she's always trying to be the center of attention or something. Yeah, it was quite funny. She she was good. I thought I liked Richard E. Grant too. I mean, I usually like him in things. Um, I don't feel like he's given really much to do in this movie, but I liked him. I feel like he was kind of creepy and fucking weird and like shitty old white man kind of way. <laughs> yeah, but he was still very you know richard e grant has done lots and lots of different types of roles but i feel like the role that he keeps coming back to or that he get, he gets typecast in is sort of the stiff you know upper middle class upper class you know fop for lack of a better word who's you know very highfalutin and in this case kind of adult too mm -hmm. i mean i was glad to see him because at least he's interesting uh but i think you're right i think the role is is underwritten definitely this reminded me a lot of that movie that we covered on the show the lesson for sure <laughs> which which was also very bad but had richard e grant in the similar <laughs> kind of like aristocratic asshole role although that was more explicit that he was an asshole because he was a writer in that movie <laughs> and yeah just a and really writers bad have to person. be assholes yeah so <laughs> yeah i was thinking of that too i don't know Kristen, I feel like we've we've been talking for quite a few minutes. Do you have any uh, things to add about this? Because I I feel like you're all you're both right that it's too long, and at the same time, I'm just like I still have so many things I would have liked to see. I'm <laughs> just angry that the things I wanted to see in the movie weren't there, and instead I got hours of shit I did not care about. Well, what did but you want to like, see? Super pissed at the end of this. <laughs> but more at myself for watching it. Yeah. Um, I wanted to see more about how the people um, over at Saltburn were assholes because I feel like the only time that we learned about the people there being assholes, because, you know, Pamela was just some poor, like, lost 
secret soul or whatever. And but that person who was sitting next to him at his fake birthday party was kind of a bitch. And that's yeah, the only sucked. person we learned anything about that was like in their life or one of their regulars. And I was like, okay, so this one black woman, thanks for putting one black woman in here. She's a total jerk. And she's supposed to represent every single one of anyone inside of their entire lives. Okay. Kind of a lot of a lift. And so mm-hmm. I do wish like maybe there were a few more of the like the cast of characters or one of the Henrys that they talk about like actually really existed outside of just ten seconds of karaoke. Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of interested in the fact that they have a bunch of friends named Henry, which as a concept is just kind of weird. So <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is weird. <laughs> that being said, my son's name is Henry, so you know. But <laughs> And every time he does a Henry-like thing, I think to myself, oh, what a Henry. So, um, <laughs> yeah. I don't usually mention his name on the show, but uh, I did this time. Whoops. It was for the greater <laughs> cinematic good. I also think I wish there was just more about with their time at school, because it was really clear that, um, well, then we knew that his parents like were still alive and his dad hadn't died or anything. I do wonder, like, if we had shown, like, a little bit more, like, of his breakdown or what changed from when he realized that he wasn't getting um, hung out with anymore and why he felt like he had to, like, make that lie up, like, right that very second. I just wish there was just some more development there. Yeah. Besides, like, yeah, he's weird and awkward and poor. Mm. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that. I also would like to delve into, or I would have liked the movie, I don't want to delve into it. I would have liked the movie to have delved into the fact that Oliver is a sociopath, but he's not particularly good at it. You know, he gets Mm -hmm. better at it. But, you know, getting caught in that lie about your parents, that's a pretty big fucking thing to overlook as a sociopath, wouldn't you say? Shouldn't you have killed your parents first? I mean, my God. (laughs) That's the loose string you want to pull? I mean, you know, it just seems so not forward thinking to get caught in a lie that big so Mm -hmm. easily, you know? It's true. Yeah. It's pretty dumb on his part. See, I I agree with you, Kristen. I think there's a lot more they could have done at the estate. That's why, personally, I would have liked them to skip some more of the college stuff and just get to the estate. I think we spent a lot of time there. And 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 in a timeline to me that was not very clear how long had passed between like when they were That's there true. and when when they end up at the estate because I feel like the estate you there's so much there to be able to explore like the shittiness of all the people in the family, the shittiness of their friends. They I feel like they could have just jumped to that a lot sooner. <laughs> the shittiness of the staff? I mean. <laughs> yeah. I mean, probably not without good reason as we, you know, grow to know the other characters but still mm-hmm. like the mirror getting replaced like in the middle of the night that was like never explained like were they in your room are they suspicious of you did they tell anyone or did they just quietly come in see that you had broken the mirror completely replaced the whole thing and then and we just like moved on from there and i was like what then why do you even fucking break the mirror was it just to say that no matter even if you like destroy something like they're gonna fix it as quickly as possible and never say anything but you 
Like, that's the only time that that happens, really. So I don't think it was a lesson. I think it was just shitty storytelling. The only thing that I can think that would make sense with it is how they react to Felix's death with the whole closing the curtains, acting like nothing is going, you know, just ignoring the problem. Uh, Well, dead child is bigger than a problem. But um, but otherwise, Kristen, I think I tend to agree with you. I think it was just like overlooked or cut out or just plain stupid. I'm not sure which. The fact that something that long had that many that would have something like that cut out and be left with those two hours and seven minutes that you made me suffer through is just like such an asshole move. It really is. Mm. I feel for you. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Dave's like, I apologize. This is all Evan's fault. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, It's just, it's (sighs) the time that any of this would happen. It, it, it just doesn't exist anymore. Like, it just completely doesn't exist for the time period that we were in. I was like, if this was like a throwback for like a 1940s, 50s, 60s thing, like I could kind of see it. But it was obviously modern. But like, thank you, Soundtrack, for making me be like, oh, my God, and be able to like time this. And yeah, for wow. that, I was and- like, wow, this is really, really not would not even happen. You wouldn't be this. You wouldn't really be this cloistered. And it just kept making me think it was just there is no element of actual reality grounding it to the point that I really actually cared. It was like watching a really bad, great Gatsby <laughs> kind of thing. Or a really bad, talented Mr. Ripley. I mean, or yeah, there's that Or an obscenely horrible, talented Mr. Ripley. Yeah. And I mean, I don't want to make it sound like I'm blowing sunshine up talented Mr. Ripley's ass. I mean, that movie has its own problems, but it's a whole hell of a lot better than this. <laughs> so much better you know I think one of the few scenes I actually did like was the one you were I think Dave you were talking about where they were trying to pull the curtains closed mm. basically you know Felix is dead and they the servants tell the parents yeah they gotta wheel his body past this window um, you want us to close the curtains so you don't have to see it and they're just fumbling closing the curtains while everyone else in the room is just deeply uncomfortable and trying desperately to cling to any conversation or anything that will take their minds off of this so that they don't have to think about the dead son, sibling, friend that's going to be wheeled by it. That was, that was, I think, the one scene in the movie that I thought was well done and effective and felt emotionally true to me. <laughs> I'll buy that. You sold me, Evan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think the end scene really, really felt organic to me because after slaying all of the family members so that you can inherit this house, why wouldn't you just snort coke and dance around completely naked through all of the rooms? Yeah, that's true. Like, was was he? Was that aesthetic? Like, I just. I mean, I don't. I think he was really helicoptering his penis. The fact that I didn't pause it makes me so proud of myself. Like, literally going to go out and get myself gold stars to give one to me. But, (laughs) like, there are a bunch of points where I was just like, how many intimacy coordinators do I think must have worked on this movie? Because, oh, man. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. After all the work I'd done... Let's just say that I killed all those people at Saltburn. I don't think, I think I would just like sit down with a Coke and just be like, all right, everyone's dead. And I inherited millions and millions of pounds. Awesome. 
And when I say a Coke, I mean Coca-Cola. Um, you have to one cocaine. Here. I would yeah. sit there with one cocaine. That's right. Sit there like Tony Montana with a mountain of cocaine, slathering it all over my you know naked torso. Yeah, like Barry Keegan. Oh yeah. well. Yeah, I I sounds like we're all pretty salt burned out. So maybe we should move on to American fiction. Yeah. Uh, salt burned out. See, that's better than any of the jokes in the movie. And, yep. you know, okay. That's so cruel. And true. <laughs> it's not good. It was definitely disappointing. All right, let's move on to American Fiction. So, uh, American Fiction is directed by Core Jefferson and written by Core Jefferson. It's co-written by Percival Everett. And it stars Jeffrey Wright, Tracy Ellis Ross, John Ortiz, Erica Alexander, Leslie Uggams, Adam Brody, Issa Rae, Sterling K. Brown, and others, including Keith David in a small role. In a too small role. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> I always need more Keith David in my life. Yeah, me too. So let's do the, the plot summary here. A novelist who's fed up with the establishment profiting from black in, air, in quotes, entertainment, uses a pen name to write a book that propels him to the heart of hypocrisy and the madness he claims to disdain. Madness. Let me fl- yeah, let me <laughs> flesh that out just a tiny bit. So um, Jeffrey Wright plays Thelonious Monk Ellison, or Monk as he's known. He's an author who's also a college professor, and he ends up, he's in a class with a student a white student who's offended by the n-word in a topic that they're covering and it becomes a whole thing and then they're like well maybe you should take some time off uh go back you know hang out go back east with your family in boston go see them so he goes and tracy ellis ross is his sister and leslie uggams is his mother and he goes back there what he thinks is going to be kind of like a short trip and then he ends up staying there which is kind of cool because i had no clue that most of this movie took place in boston and the boston area so that was a lot of fun to discover and was definitely shot around here yes definitely so yeah let's see so what happens so tracy ellis ross who's his sister has a heart attack and dies which is sad and surprised the shit out of me surprised the shit out of me his mother has alzheimer's he learns and so he's in really tough financial straits also his brother sterling k brown has uh divorce and he's embracing his his is did they say he's gay or bi in this i can't remember if they explicitly i'm because he kept saying like i've only been gay for like six months i need to catch up yeah he did say that. <laughs> <laughs> so um so yeah so sterling k brown he, he's the his brother and he's like a plastic surgeon but he's also just his life is a mess so it's not like he can really help and so monk he he's like attending this like book fair right yeah, book fair in Boston, and um, he he sees Issa Rae there, her character Sinatra Golden, and she's written a book that people are really responded to. I can't remember the name of it for the life of me, um, but it, it's the kind of book that he looks down on, and he's like, "Ugh, it's just like all the worst stereotypes about black people," and I can't believe this. And but then he's like really like down on his luck, and is like, "I don't know what to fucking do," and he just feels seized with creative inspiration one night and writes this like book that i love that you hesitated before you even said the word book 
<laughs> As if there must be some other literary form this would be. <laughs> well, I was just thinking about when he starts writing it and then Keith David appears in front of him and starts like acting out the stuff as he's writing it. I thought that was a pretty funny scene where he's, his characters are in the room in front of him talking and then he's like, needs to backspace some lines so then they like have to rewind and then they're like looking at him waiting for the next thing that he's supposed to to say and he writes this kind of as a joke but also just kind of like as like a fuck you (laughs) and it ends up getting sold to uh, a publisher who wants to also adapt it into a film and it just takes off and at the same time he also gets selected to be part of this group of authors that are judging other new works of fiction and he ends up that ends up being one of the books in 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 the competition and he feels like he can't say anything about it because he's both ashamed that he wrote it and also really angry that people are embracing this book because he feels like it's just such low art uh compared to the stuff that he normally writes so yeah it's all about him just getting lost in the complicated feelings of that while also dealing with his family drama while also uh, dating someone new and, uh, I don't know, just trying to figure his fucking life out. And fucking up that relationship at every turn. Yeah. So that's that's all the key plot points. Uh, let's let's jump in. Kristen, what did you think of this movie? I know you're very excited to, to see it and talk about it. I want to lay like a couple of quick things down. One of the things is uh, that what he is so angry about, surprisingly, is an actual genre of fiction. Urban fiction, also known as ghetto lit, also known as hood lit, is an actual genre, and it all reads just like that. And it's Mm. almost like how people have, like, super trashy romance novels, but this is, like, it's pretty much just, like, super trashy, gritty, like, bombastic urban life. But it's a literal whole genre that is wildly popular so with specifically black people so also there is just there were just so many moments where i was like you uppity motherfucker like i know exactly where you live on the vineyard like (laughs) and it's coming from me whose sister went to high school on the vineyard because we lived down there but this is like this like a whole other thing um and that's part of what i meant where it just Parts of it just feel unbalanced as if they're trying to make fun of this thing, but they also haven't fleshed it out enough to do the idea of the joke justice, unfortunately. Mm, So I I feel like I would have liked it more if if it was more balanced, but to have such a heavy story with the mother and then counterbalance that with like a, a new love story, but then and weird family drama with the brother. It's just really comic relief. And then also add on the actual main point of the story about the, the book that he's writing. It was just the way that it was divided up just felt like very, very uneven. Hmm. And I, as much as I hated that, it was mostly just because I didn't feel like every single part of those stories got as much time as it should have. And I wanted to spend some good time with a lot of those different parts of the stories. Honestly, could she have had anything else but Alzheimer's? Because that was just, I don't want to say a downer. Obviously, Alzheimer's is a downer. But... Mm -hmm. It was just it was just too heavy a choice for a family illness on top of the death of his sister. It was just too right. heavy for the type of movie that this is. 
Yeah. They do I, hit you with a lot of sad stuff, right? It, to, to really, like, play up the fact that he's, like, kind of fallen on hard times and is like, I don't know what the fuck to do. But it is it is sad. <laughs> yeah. And I think the way, like, I was expecting Tracy Ellis Ross to, like, have a major role in this movie because her name's, like, second on the poster. And then she's dead within 10 minutes. It's like, oh, what? Gabrielle Union was second on the poster of Birth of a Nation. What that woman do? Speak four words? Yeah, I think you're right. Also, remember in the blackening, the, I think the last time I was on the show, <laughs> in the blackening, yep. when Ivana Rigi, um and Jay Farrow were saying, like, oh, it's like when they kill them off early in the movie because they can't afford to have people with this budget. Yeah. <laughs> That's immediately what I thought when Tracy was trying to Yeah, I... I... I feel like your your criticism with the mom's illness, I, I kind of feel like they could have just cut the mom out because if you've got, you could roll all of the the struggle with the parents into what the other siblings were, the, the struggles that the, because Sterling K. Brown and Jeffrey Wright talk at length about all the things that were wrong with their parents. So I don't even mm-hmm. really know if you need to see them you know yeah or it could have just been about the fact that the mom you know turned a blind eye to the affairs and things and and all these years later is still either in denial or is like oh wow that actually happens like it doesn't it i i agree about the the alzheimer's story i just i feel like i can't i can't watch literally anything without coming into contact with the alzheimer's dementia situation and i know it happens to people but it just feels like do we have nothing nothing else to do when talking yeah. about people who are older? Like, there's literally nothing we can cover with them. I think it's also kind of a convenient dramatic device a lot, you know, because there's that mm-hmm. scene toward the end when Jeffrey Wright is talking to his mother and she thinks she's talking to Cliff, his brother, you know, and it just feels like, okay, you just explained a lot of stuff in this because of a mistake brought on by her illness, you know? I don't know. Mm-hmm. No, you're um, right. I think that this would have been really good for like a you're going to lose the house dramatic um, vehicle that felt like it would have been more appropriate for an emotional like level than what they used. Yeah. Well, did you want to uh, uh, say anything else, Kristen, or did you want us to? Uh, oh, to yeah. Get I'm still going to watch this like 35 fucking times. I've already recommended it <laughs> to like a thousand people and like. <laughs> Every single person I've texted been like, oh, my God, I've been dying to see this movie. I cannot wait to see this movie because I've said it to a lot of like, you know, normal but generally bougie black people. And we're all like, yeah, this movie, (laughs) we've been waiting for it. (laughs) 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 And uh, part of it is it's also I I love Jeffrey Wright. I could just I'm so everything Hunger Games, what if with Marvel, uh, Westworld, like I just. Oh, I just think he's so great. And every single time that I was like kind of iffy, like basically he would just open his mouth and bring me back. I thought like, he was very funny in this. He like was very he funny. I laughed a lot. Yeah. It, he just he just had such great facial expressions and he was just so he he's just so great at just being annoyed <laughs> at people. Just being exasperated at literally everyone around him and just being a real grump. He, I, I thought he was very funny. Yes, that is that is exactly my favorite part of it was just how annoyed, how deeply and thoroughly annoyed at everything that he was. 
And yet, even in all of the depths of his annoyance, he knew he couldn't escape it because he needed this money. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. And I had to keep playing along. Like, when he was trying to be... When he was trying to be hood and he ordered the wine that I can't even remember what wine it is because I don't oh, yeah. know wine that well. <laughs> it was a white wine, I think. And the guy was like, Adam Brody was me, was like the, the movie producer that he's meeting with. He's like, interesting choice yeah. <laughs> on the wine order. Because <laughs> he like named the actual wine like a white Chablis or like something like that. And I was like, man, how did you walk so fake gangster into this restaurant and be seated on the side and everything? And then that was your wine order like mm-hmm. you ha- you should have asked them if they had hennessy like that would have been like the and i know <laughs> <laughs> i know that would have been the easy joke but i was also just almost disappointed that he couldn't even hold it together for 10 minutes yeah yeah i i thought john ortiz who plays his agent was very very funny like when he showed up like how he was dressed for that interview and he's like i think he says something to the effect of like i told you to dress like you're from the hood you look like you're on sesame street or something like yeah that. he said i told you to dress street not sesame street <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna yeah. use that i'm gonna hope this doesn't come out in wide enough release that i can use that multiple times and no one will clock me for it <laughs> yeah he had a lot of he had a lot of funny lines and it was really morbid but i really laughed hard when so one of the plot points is that his monk's father committed suicide. He shot himself in the family's beach home. And John Ortiz's agent is like bored on a call and he pantomimes shooting himself in the head and then looks at him and goes, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to like <laughs> make it make a, an offensive <laughs> thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, although I also love like how how far that it goes because every single time I thought that they would have made enough money and just like cut it off. The ask is just so it, the ask comes back again. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. If you work for a person, like say you have an agent or a manager or an editor, like I immediately felt that where it's like, you've made a decision about your art or like what you want to do, but there's this person with a significant business interest that you also depend on. That's just like, mm-hmm. how about one more step further? Yeah, his analogy about the varieties of Johnny Walker, I thought was particularly effective in describing to him, like, hey, look, you can do your, like, hotsy totsy like, books. You can do the Johnny Walker blue, but you can also do the Johnny Walker black <laughs> and make money. <laughs> and I think that that's, that's really what Cobus Dow did. It's just, like, this man wanted to write what he wanted to write, but no one was, like, buying it, but also... Because maybe it wasn't sold correctly. I thought it was hilarious when he picked up his own books out of the African-American section. And he was like, mm-hmm. this isn't even the right section. And the kid looked so quiet when he was like, well, I think it's here because the author is black. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I, was that the Strand? I, it looked like the Strand to me, I that think- scene. I think it was the strand because I was kind of also, well, I was also looking outside and I was like, I too have had trouble hailing a cab on this part of Brookline. And I was just, there were so many moments where I was like, this person could actually, this could have been a documentary just following like a black person around in some of these areas of Boston that I think that they're representing. Like when he pointed, when she said that uh, he's, she saw the dad kissing a white woman and he specifically says Brahmin white or Southie white. Oh yeah. 
<laughs> that was a moment. That was another one of those. Kristen took a picture of the of the screener because <laughs> I was like, when this comes out, I want to have all of these screenshots already. <laughs> You're like, I'm ready to meme these. Let's let's do it. <laughs> oh, I'm ready. I'm ready to meme the hell out of so many of these. Um, Did that? I- uh, did being from the area like did that increase your enjoyment of the movie? Oh, times a thousand. I think it was really lucky that I both live in Boston and um we do vacation down on the Cape pretty frequently and we do have a home. So I felt a lot of kinship towards so many levels uh of this movie. Um also because I know a thousand billion uh monks fun fact about me i also used to be a faculty assistant at the harvard department of sociology oh uh, yeah i don't think i knew that <laughs> i didn't know that yeah yeah hey uh, <laughs> and so i will tell you <laughs> i know i know i know so many monks i know oh man i know so many monks. <laughs> <laughs> and it is always this i want to watch this really like super super hyper intellectual thing what do you mean the entire like general public doesn't want to buy it and they're like, oh, they just wanted this. Or you remember in if either of you watch Family Guy and they would have these jokes with like the Cosby show and they'd be like the hippin' and the hoppin' and the bippin' and the bop and that's what I feel mm-hmm. that this <laughs> Except that does sell because that is what people want to read and it's really interesting. And I love the fact that she the um I keep saying Maxine. I keep wanting to say Maxine. And I know her name, Eric Alexander, but I cannot get living single out of my head, especially when she was a lawyer. What a choice. Oh, uh, see, I always think of Cousin Pam. So mm, that's another, you know, that's but, a good callback. Yeah, but I'm uh, like older than you guys. So that's why I think of her in that role. Dave, so. I literally turned 39 on Friday. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm a decade older than you. So, uh, like, when I when Living Single was on, I did watch that, though. So, I don't know why I didn't recognize her from that. Oh, well. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll delve into it later, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah, so when, um, when she buys his books and then buys his second book, but then she also buys the new book because, yeah, people <laughs> contain multitudes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We should just so mention, mad. by the way, that the that he, as a joke, tells the publishers that he wants to rename the book from My Pathology to Fuck. <laughs> and when they balk at it, he says, well, if you don't name it that, I'm going to walk because he thinks they'll blink and then they don't and they rename it Fuck. And I was like, I kind I knew that was going to happen. But at the same time, I was like, that's amazing. That's yeah. great. <laughs> I really liked when they tried to rename it Fuck with a PH. <laughs> yeah yeah that was, right. that was pretty funny i mean i don't know about you two but i laughed a lot during this movie i thought this movie was really funny its sense of humor worked for me but i feel like kristen i have to ask after watching this because i feel like as i was watching i was like this is very funny and i'm very much enjoying it it's it's a good time but i'm like am i part of the joke here and like as a white person watching this laughing finding it very funny like is the movie also making fun of me for enjoying this for being because the movie makes fun of the white people who are like they want to read this you know literature and they're really into it and they're trying to like seem like they're very progressive and that they're like oh yeah we're supporting this art by black artists i'm like 
man, am I like, the, I've had a real like mind uh, exploding moment. <laughs> okay, so you're a white person who found fun in it, the sa- very similar to the way that I found fun in it, versus a white person who might find it funny because they're like, oh, ha ha ha, like, see, he tried so hard to escape it, and yet this is exactly what was supposed to happen, and I guarantee that there are going to be white people who watch this and feel that. I will not be on their shows. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But I know that you felt it in a way that like, I'm sure that you noticed like when they made the, they made the statement about how important it was to listen to black voices. I can't believe the way that those other, those three white, bleh, white writers were talking in front of, now this I'm sure speaks to my naivete, but like, we're talking in front of the two black authors on that panel. It's like, you guys hear what you're saying? Good Lord. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, that happens like all the time. Like if I'm doing organizing in Roxbury and it's with a certain type of like white organizer or someone new to the work and they are talking from a place of authority that is highly undeserved. Uh, and you could just sit there and be like, I'm sorry, do you hear what you're saying? Because I hear what you're saying, and that's why my face looks like this. Do you hear what you're saying? Let me play it back. (laughs) I'm so sad we're in a two-party state where I would have had to have your consent, because God, do I want to tape you and play this back. (laughs) That was certainly the face that Issa and Jeffrey Wright were, like, giving to them in that moment. And we should explain that this is a point where they are judges for a book show, and the three white judges have decided that fuck is the best book of the year and must win the prize mm-hmm. when the two black judges are like absolutely not this is some pedantic swill how dare you think that this is actually the experience that we want to uplift in this moment yeah yeah and i, I that is a great conversation where it's just the two of them in the room together when jeffrey wright and Issa ray are there and he's asking her like pointedly like why she described the book the way like, i think he's did she say it was pandering or something? She said his. She said fuck was pandering. Yeah. Yeah, and, and he's like, but I'd like to know why. And then you just see him getting madder and madder at her insulting his book, even though he hates the fact that he wrote it. <laughs> yeah. Which is ex- I oh I laughed so loud that I actually heard the people in the condo above me stop moving because I laughed so crazy loud when he was like, well. That's just like, that's the kind of excuse that a drug dealer gives for like how she was just like giving the market what it wants. And she's like, yeah, and I think drugs should be legal. So (laughs) (laughs) I screamed. (laughs) She had so many points in that one statement. Because it's true. We know, I mean, we all have our favorite directors who have just made the thing because they needed money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Didn't Taika Waititi just do an interview saying that he could have given, like, a fine fuck about Thor, but he was like, you know, it'd be cool making money. <laughs> yeah, he did say that, didn't he? <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> so like, yeah, it yep. feels a real, it's a real conversation. And then there are people who will never even, who would never consider making, like, a Marvel movie or a DC movie or anything like that because of how it would, like, affect their craft. You know. But this is not, this is kind of to do with that. It has nothing to do with American fiction. Sorry. Uh, I kind of wish that really like deep, like well, I wish Martin Scorsese would direct a Marvel movie because I want to know what that would look like. <laughs> you know, it's like, it, would you be able to do any better? 
I, I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> I mean, Age of Innocence was a change of pace for you, but, you know, it's not really outside your wheelhouse. Uh, anyway, that's an aside. <laughs> it's a good aside, though, because I guess, like, maybe if we also got Martin Scorsese, like, super, super angry and possibly slightly drunk, maybe he would. Yeah. I mean, well, it's kind of, yeah. you'd it's, have to it's, do it's, it for um, quite a while and be worried about his health, like, given the amount of time it takes to shoot. But, like, yeah, I'd yeah. be willing to try it. Yeah, and it's also how I feel about casting comedians as horrible criminals, like in that uh, movie where Kevin James plays the white supremacist, Evan. <laughs> oh, Becky? Yeah. Becky, that's right. Uh, anyway, back to American fiction. Um, <laughs> yeah, a lot of those scenes uh, when when the, the white people were speaking with such authority, I was just like, oh, good Lord. It just made me uncomfortable, you know? And for them, uh, for Jeffrey Wright. But I was saying this earlier, to Evan off mic. Kristen, I'm sorry. I, I didn't love Jeffrey Wright's performance in this. No. Yeah, I didn't I didn't dislike it. I didn't dislike it, but at the same time I was like eh, eh. I don't know. I loved Sterling K. Brown. I and I loved their relationship as brothers. I actually think mm -hmm. when they were in scenes together, I thought that they were great together. Yeah. Um, they were. Yes. And I mean, Sterling K. Brown is just, I just love him. So, um, but when he says that, I can't remember, uh, his mother says something horrible to him uh, in her, um, in, because of her dementia slash Alzheimer's, and he just turns around and leaves the house, and he, he warns Jeffrey Wright's girlfriend, Erica Alexander, this family will break your heart. And I was just like, oh, poor Sterling K. Brown. <laughs> I felt so bad. I think she That's had said something like... Uh, was like I always a, knew a, that you weren't a queer or something like really Yeah, it was like a homophobic awful. slur, right? Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, I, I think that, um, like you, Kristen, I, I feel like it was just uh, a little uneven, all of the parts. You know, there were so many different story threads that they, some of the ones, like not all of them got the attention they deserved. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was a little bit harder to... Uh, like like you were saying, the, dealing with the the mother's illness, it's like eh, all right. Um, but the only real problem I have with this though is I I really didn't like the sound design. I'm just gonna I'm gonna stick that out there. That is a recurring pet peeve of mine on spoiler piece theater. <laughs> it is. I can vouch for that. <laughs> like when when sound doesn't match from scene to scene, it really bothers me. So anyway, that's all. Otherwise, I I did enjoy this. Um, I don't know who I would have cast instead of Jeffrey Wright. I guess the correct answer, Kristen, is no one, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would be the correct answer. Great. You, you get your points back, Dave. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Okay, off Kristen's shit list for now. Good. Like I, I do think that I. what I will give you is that he didn't get to have the depth that I would usually expect from him in a lot of his characters. Yeah. The fact that him as BD in the Hunger Games is a deeper character than this is a little concerning. I feel like Felix Leiter in the Bond movies is a deeper character than this. You know, <laughs> that's a more nuanced performance than this one was. I think I could be wrong. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. But also, the man's, like, living in hyperbole. Like, that's the entire point of, like, everything that right. he's doing. 
and the hyperbole is working. So he's only getting more annoyed. And if he was getting angry, like legitimately angry, that would be one thing. But he just seems to be just consistently just boiling under annoyed in that way that a certain like class of people will never get truly mad. They'll just get more and more pissed off. But like in a polite way. So he's still like holding on to the politeness of this and he's not even delving into the type of anger that he's fake writing about. Right. He does manage to push away his girlfriend though with his, (laughs) he kind of takes it all out on her. Um, And then she doesn't, she doesn't take him back. I forgot about that for a moment. Yeah. You know how in, in movies, the girlfriend or the wife or the whoever always comes back. Not in this one. It's a little slice of real life here. But they make some jokes about it in the very kind of like meta situation toward the end where he's just talking with Adam Brody about the movie. Like, how would we end the movie? And they throw a couple different potential scenes out there as to how they would resolve things before he kind of gets in the car with his brother and like drives away from the movie set. Oh, I was so annoyed at the ending that they chose. I was so, oh my God. And I was like, like, I knew that was... I knew that suicide by policeman was going to be a po- like a possibility or a suggested ending. I just didn't think that it would just be like like that exactly. I was like, "How many squibs did you put in this man? Like, what is the theme?" And then he was like, "Yeah, yeah that's the one. Print it." And I was just like, "Oh, I was like, I was." Just waiting for like one more for Jeffrey Wright to be like, no, we can't do that. How about? And then he's like, nah, just like full into sellout. He's just like done. He's full sellout mode. <laughs> yeah. Ending with literally a slave giving him a, like, a pizza and a free drives off a lot. I was like, oh, yeah, wow. I, yeah. When that <laughs> when that came up, I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, I don't know. I very much enjoyed the Serbic sense of humor with the kind of like meta ending. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, I think part of it was, it was so overdone and awful. That was kind of the point, right? So, mm-hmm. um, he did become a sellout though. I didn't even think about that part. Hmm. Yeah. He happily became a sellout, never really got caught got to keep all his money like at the end i was like did he learn a lesson maybe he learned he could get away with it i don't know yeah (laughs) right maybe he learned that a quarter million dollars made it three quarters of a million dollars like made it worth it which is also not what i want so i feel like they purposely gave me a shitty ending as a person watching it to be like haha Jokes on you too. This is just how it works. Yeah, I definitely feel there was some of that. Yeah, and I I hate that. I'm the audience. Don't give me that lesson. I'm supposed to come out of this happier than this. Well, you're you're 95 percent happy, right? <laughs> I don't know. No, we will um, not be giving this an A in my. <laughs> oh, all right. Where was this land on the scale for you? Um, we're, we're strictly in B territory, and I can't even tell you like B or B minus, but we are like very much in B territory. I know you could have done this better, but thanks for giving me the best of your homeroom hours. <laughs> wow, 
Homeroom, deep cuts. Woo. I haven't, I haven't thought about homeroom since like ninth grade. Okay. <laughs> it was a long time ago, people. I just wanted more. And also, I loved Sterling K. Brown's character in this. I really, really did. But I also feel mm. like I just didn't get to spend enough time with, like, learning about everything that happened. Like, even when they first introduced the character and they just said, oh, they're divorced and the kids are getting made fun of at school. I was honestly just because of the way that the movie is. My very first thought was, like, oh, because the other person, because his spouse was white and because they're biracial at like some really hood school or something. And that was the first thought that I had about just the way that the movie had been set up about like why they would have been made fun of or anything like that. Like it didn't even, the anything didn't even occur to me. So then when it came up, I was like, whoa, okay, sure. Let me run back a couple scenes to actually see how this like all fit together. And I just wish there was more time on like, him being gay and like how it worked with the family or the different family dynamics in it. I just wanted more of him, especially because even if they were kind of estranged, you could tell that there was just like such a closeness with them when they were sharing the scenes. I really just, again, wanted more of that, especially since I literally didn't have a whole other sibling. I don't have a father figure. I only have for uh, family foils, this brother and this Alzheimer mom. Mm. I think you put more thought into it than they did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know. I but, went all the way to first period. Go me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping it in the school analogies. Yeah. I wish there was more Sterling K. Brown and the their relationship. I think everything can use more Sterling K. Brown. I really do, too. I, I also wish that there was more of the actual book because even though we just got that like little um, piece that was all acted out, uh, mm. I was expecting over the course of the movie to like hear more readings of excerpts. Like I was literally waiting for just crying white women in the Hamptons to be like reading it aloud to their friends or something like that. Oh, but, that's a really mm. good idea. Yeah. yeah and, like, that would have been not, very funny. Right. And not having that and having just that one scene be the only thing I know about what's inside that book. That's that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. It's true. It, I think it would have been very funny and would have been I think it would have spoken a lot more to like how frustrated he was that he wrote the things that he wrote. If you had to hear more of what he wrote in other scenes. Yeah, like it, the judges could have like, oh, come on, how could you not make this the best book of the year? Listen to this passage. And then one of them reads something and he's just seething underneath. Yeah. Exactly. Huh. I did love the, I did love every scene with the judges, though. I really loved every scene with the judges. And there was definitely a moment where I was like, I mean, we are, we're all critics sitting here. So there was a moment when he was offering him and he was like, I don't know. It sounds like a lot of work. And he's like, well, here's the golden thing is uh, now you get to judge them fig actually literally instead of figuratively. And he's like, immediately like, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Yeah. He's like, I get to shit on other people's books. Awesome. Absolutely. Sign me up. <laughs> Also, the fact that they all agreed that they could figure it out within, like, the first hundred pages. I bet there's actual authors just, like, crying into their manuscripts right now, like, seeing that. Yeah. 
Yeah. But also Ugh. super true. Also, I wanted more Issa. I wanted more Issa. Once I realized, like, I wanted more than just that one scene with the mm-hmm. two of them inside of the room. And again, those were great scenes. I were some of my favorites, but I just wanted more or maybe like seeing her on like some talk shows or Absolutely. The, you know, they made such a point to have her book in particular be the 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 final, you know, catalyst for him. It would have been great to spend more time on it. And perhaps it's, you know, skyrocketing up the New York Times bestseller lists and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. I mean, I. It's not like I want the movie to be longer. I just wish they would take out some things and put in the things that I wanted more of. Yeah, I feel the same way. Around. Yeah, but with that said, there were definitely like funny things that I will be repeating like pretty constantly. Also, I'm gonna have to go back and remember that entire Roe versus Wade joke because even with the ridiculous setup, that was actually I definitely laughed at that. That was so stupid. Yeah, me yeah. too. <laughs> Another waste of Tracy Ellis Ross and her wonderful comic timing. <laughs> also, they didn't explain why she knew that she was dying and she knew that she could was wrote that letter. Did you? Yeah, that, that did. That, yeah, that did seem like a very um, robust. If I die, letter. I was like, really? She planned. She seems kind of young to have like planned to die of a heart attack. <laughs> well, maybe she knew something they didn't. You know. Yeah. Right, but you would usually like see it in the letter, or it would usually be explained out. Like, I'm so sorry. I didn't. I couldn't tell you, or didn't have the time to tell you, or I know this comes as a shock, but like that's the kind of thing that usually you have in one of these letters. Like, you know, just like. Uh, tying up all the loose ends there and yeah. I'm super annoyed that I didn't get that especially since I wasn't going to get her for the rest of the movie I thought that she was just going to be like disabled or something and that he was going to have to also take care of her but when those little legs stopped moving I was like no you didn't yeah oh the moment we saw her feet I was like well that's it <laughs> you know <laughs> oh yeah so yeah, you don't show the rough. feet of a character that's going to keep being in the rest of the movie. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The moment someone's feet turn up on screen in a drama, you're like, well, that's there's that was their last working day. So. Yeah. Also, did we get an explanation of the other guy that was in um, her house when he was in there drinking the wine and then the other guy comes in and comes home? Like, was there ever like a real full explanation of like who that was? To her. Oh, um, she said that they were divorcing. I think. Yeah. They were, it was her ex, and they were in the process of breaking up. I just felt like there would be slightly, again, more when Sterling K. Brown's character is swimming in the in the pool. For a second, I literally thought that was her ex who would like come back and was like swimming in their pool <laughs> to like be mad at them. Yeah. Yeah. No, just I... unfinished. Yeah. Well, any any other thoughts on everybody? Shoot, I want to sell this because I do want people to watch it. Wait, wait, wait. Let me think really. 
<laughs> that's a problem with a spoiler piece theater is like it automatically versus like a review where I have to be like super balanced and say all these like nice things and also never say what's actually happening here I can be like wasn't that just some bullshit when that happened and like it's just way too much fun to do that it's just so much fun to do that honestly <laughs> Um, I did think it was like super, super funny. And especially if you are a person of color who has to like, who is told to tell like a very specific version of what someone else thinks that your story is. This is very, very funny and on a level that makes you far more forgiving of the things that don't work. I will say that. But even not as a person of color, honestly, probably if you're just like a writer that is being asked to write about anything that you don't want to write about, but someone else feels that you should be writing about, you're probably also going to get an absolute kick out of this. Yeah, I can, I can vouch mm-hmm. for that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. But also it is just funnier if you're a person of color. I'm sorry. Also, there were just like so many white people jokes in there. That was just, that was just great. Like when they're sitting at the table and she's like, I'm glad you're not white. And she's like, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was funny. And that's the only talking that you see happen between the two of them. I think the whole movie where it's actually the two of them talking to each other. Is that like Bechdel test ready? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, I very much enjoyed this movie. I, I see all the criticisms that you both have expressed about the movie, but I still enjoyed it anyway. And I laughed a lot. And um, Kristen, I'm glad that you enjoyed watching it despite your criticisms and that you're going to watch it a bunch more (laughs) and recommend it to people. Oh, I'm going to bring my mom and she is going to literally be rolling at the aisles because she is far more forgiving about this kind of stuff than I am. And she has had to deal with it through... I've had to deal with it in, like, you know, a general woke culture. My mom had to deal with stuff like that in, like, the 80s and the 90s working for the federal government. She's going to love this movie. (laughs) Is that good? Are you looking forward to, like, showing this to people and, like, getting a chance to see them watch it for the first time and see their reaction to some of these jokes? You don't even know how many times I've seen The Blackening just to watch other people watch The Blackening. Same with Get Out. (laughs) Like, it is... It has been an absolute, and sometimes it is just a joy to, like, see something, and then you, like, pretty much enjoy it, but you also know, like, the 30 people that will, like, super enjoy it, and you just have to figure out, like, how many more times that you can rewatch it, because it is worth it to see somebody else see those jokes for the first time, and know that it's really speaking to them in a way that they may not have normally been spoken to in this kind of medium. Also, I like that book festival that I know that they're making fun of. I really like the Boston Book Festival. I think it's wonderful. So, like, to see so many things being made fun of about Boston and, like, the entire New England area in general. Like, I'm always, I'm always going to adore that. Yeah, same here. I didn't realize that was a real festival. I, I assumed that it was a made-up thing for the movie. Oh, my but God. That's it's funny. A, it's a giant festival. <laughs> I think I saw Margaret Atwood there. Oh. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. It's okay, whatever. I also saw Jason Siegel there about his kid's book. Like, it ranges. Don't. (laughs) Oh, yeah. 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 That's the B team. JV squad. 
putting it back in the school. <laughs> All right. Well, I think it seems like a good point to wrap things up. Um, so I think it's pretty safe to say that none of us would recommend Saltburn. No. I mean, if I really didn't like you, it would be pretty high on my list. <laughs> so, yeah, just remind me uh, next time I see you to ask who you've recommended it to. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, that'd be funny to know if you actually, despite recommended it to someone. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely going to spite recommend it to, to several very pretentious people. They'll have to suffer through it. Bully for them. I'm scared they're going to come back and say how much they love it, and I'm just going to be... I'm going to turn into Jeffrey Wright. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which will now be a joke now, that you can just be like, man, I almost turned into Jeffrey Wright right then. And it will Mm. completely be associated with this movie. Yeah. So, and then, so what, obviously, uh, I would recommend this. Dave, would you recommend American Fiction? Yeah, sure. And Kristen, you recommend it despite its flaws. <laughs> yes, despite its flaws, I would recommend it also because I already know that I'm probably going to have to watch it over Christmas with like my entire family has been dying to see this movie. When uh when you watch movies with your family, do they then say, "Well, Kristen, you're a critic. What did you think of the movie?" Do you then have to like <laughs> engage in conversation and then like you know find yourself in the situation where like, okay, how can I say my critique without <laughs> ruffling Literally feathers or all the time, which is insane considering that my cousin, my mother's godson is literally a former executive producer for Amazon Studios and owns his own production company right now in LA and they never bother that kid. Why? (laughs) (laughs) And I texted and asked every five seconds. I'm like, y'all just at the wrong end of the totem pole. (laughs) Okay. Uh, sorry, I feel like I'm kind of spacey today. Uh, okay, so yeah, so we would recommend American Fiction. We would not recommend Saltburn. Uh, so that wraps up another episode of Spoiler Piece Theater. Want to say thank you to our editor, Otto Clamor. Otto, thank you for making us sound great week after week. Thank you, Otto. Thank you, Otto. Oh, can... that's so nice, Kristen. Well, I mean, he had to deal with my last audio, so I feel like I should just be sending him a free basket or something. You okay? Yeah, what was I gonna say? Sorry, I'm tired. I'm very tired. Um I understand. Uh uh okay, yeah, sorry. Uh so you can find the show anywhere you get podcasts. Uh you can also find us at our website, spoilerpiece.com. Uh we're all over social media. We're spoilerpiece theater on Facebook, we're at spoilerpiece on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and TikTok. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can send us an email. We're spoilerpiece at gmail.com, or you can give us a call. 86221Peace. And uh, you can leave us a voicemail. You can send us a text. Tell us what you thought of these movies. And um, 
If you like the show, please consider rating and reviewing us by going to ratethispodcast.com slash spoiler piece. It'll take you to your platform of choice. And uh, if you really, really like the show, please consider joining our Patreon. Uh, each week we put out exclusive audio for our patrons. And uh, this week we talked about the 1974 film, The Taking of Pelham 123, which Kristen joined us for that conversation as well. And uh, that was a lot of fun. So $5 patrons, you get access to exclusive audio. You can vote in polls. And I'll take this opportunity to say thank you to our sponsor piece patron, Heather Sachs. Thank you, Heather. Thank you, Heather. And that wraps up this episode of Spoiler Piece Theater. My name is Evan Crean. I am co-chair of the Boston Online Film Critics Association and co-author of your 80s movie guide to better living. You can f- follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, as, and Blue Sky and Threads, all those places, as Real Recon, and that's real as in film real. And I'm Dave Riedel. I write for the Chicago Reader. I'm a member of the Boston Online Film Critics Association, and I, I don't know which... Uh, social media things I'm on anymore. So just look for Dave C's movies, whichever one you're on. And if I'm there, I'm there. And if I'm not, I'm not. There you go. Fair enough. And uh, Kristen, thank you again for joining us. Where can folks find you? Uh, folks can find me on Twitter at the moment. I'm not calling it anything else. They can find me on Twitter at khalbert617. Boy, do I hope you like your movie reviews with a side of black hair care tips and politics, because that's the other part of that feed. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen the hair care tips, but I've definitely seen the the local political jokes and commentary (laughs) it's because they're so funny and if you think that there aren't some local politicians who are about to be told that salt burn was really going to endear them to their constituents and you know coffee conversation uh, you'd be wrong Oh, man. But yeah, no, that's the only place. But I would also suggest that you follow us at our Boston Comics and Color Festival at Comics, the letter in color on pretty much all platforms. And we'll see you on April 20th. What a fun day to do a comic festival. 420? Yes. Nice. <laughs> Truly <Very cool>. psychedelic. <laughs> Thank you again for joining us. Uh, Kristen, this was a lot of fun. I always enjoy having you on the show. I'm glad we got a chance to talk about these movies. Thanks, Kristen. Um, um, I'm always happy to be here with you guys. Again, spoiler, please, is just like an absolute joy to be on and to listen to and to get really jealous when I hear other people and encourage me to find more movies to come back and talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have to find another fun one uh, to talk about the next time you come on. Thank you for tuning in, everyone, and we'll uh, see you next week. Bye. Bye.